Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer before we start, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you once again for your word, uh, for the majesty that we see of who you are in this particular chapter. And yet, Lord, uh, as we go about studying your word this morning, help us to understand that there is so much that we need to do, not only within our own hearts, but those that we need to, to uh, help see you for who you are. So would you bless us this day with a greater understanding, not only of this chapter, but Lord, help us to understand more of what you want from us in this life. Would you bless us to that end? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wrote this sermon about a month ago when I found out from Kirk what particular passage I was going to be looking at. And this is, you know, 31 chapter, or 31 verses, rather, is a lot to try to, to, to put into a 30-minute a, a talk and, and make it all come out making sense. So I picked out really two parts of this particular passage. It's verses 1 through 8. And then verses 18 through 31. Not to say that 9 through 17 are not important because they kind of go along with the last part of this, okay? The majesty of God and how, how we understand God for who He is. But I wrote this, and every time I do it, I'll, I'll put the sermon away. As soon as I finish the last word, then I print it and I put it off to the side. And I date it for what, you know, what week I'm going to be preaching. And I never know until I look at it the Monday prior to, to preaching it on Sunday, what I've written. And it's, it's always one of those, I cannot wait to see what the Holy Spirit has done in this sermon. Because if it was left up to me, I, I would not make two sentences make, come out, okay? And I read this thing and I thought, huh, okay, not too bad. And the more I read it during the week the more I got excited about it to the point where Friday, I guess, it was like I cannot wait to get to Sunday morning to be able to preach this message. Um, the, the excitement of, of what the Holy Spirit has, has done in this work, not in me, but in this work, because these words are His, they're not mine. Um, and I hope they're going to make sense to you all as, as we... Uh, think about this this morning. It may not be the typical fourth Sunday in Advent sermon that you might think would, would come about. And uh, as I was telling Terry this, this morning on the way over here, I kind of race on a different racetrack than everybody else. And uh, you don't have to go too crazy about that, okay? Uh, but uh, th- this is one that, that I hope is, is going to make sense to you all. Uh, after after you hear it. Well, here we are on the final Sunday of Advent, which is significant, I think, because it, it means Christmas now is only just a few days away. For some of us, it's a, it's a time of reflection of, of ages past when we can stop for a brief second and we can recount our past Christmases. I have to say that this one probably will be like no other Christmas that any of us have ever had. Maybe we, we spent far more time on the computer this year, earnestly seeking those last few gifts that we know we need to buy for, the, for our loved ones. We don't want to risk going out and, and bring home the gift that keeps on giving throughout the entire Christmas holiday season, this virus that we have. 
So maybe this year you've done the majority of your shopping online. Sadly, I'm afraid this is the the way of the future. Uh, I'd like to think that it is not. I pray that it is not. But the way it's going, people keep saying that this is the new normal. I'm not really seeing anything right now to disprove that statement, at least not yet anyway. And I pray, and I hope you all do too, that that's not the case, okay? We've experienced one of the most brutal years in any of our lifetimes. I don't care how old you are, short of perhaps the Great Depression, and and I don't think anyone in this room today uh, ever experienced that part, that, that time firsthand. I would have to say that this has arguably been the most difficult year to simply try to survive that we may have historically had in this country's history. And I'm not talking about just this virus. Politically, it seems that the country has, has about come apart at the seams. Division among its citizens is, is easier to achieve now than, than unity. We, we can't seem to agree on much of anything anymore. We, we have to be divided because it's not safe to be in the same room with anyone else anymore. Not without a mask and, and everything else. I know of a, a, a man that was tested positive just the other day, last week I guess. His daughter was going to be uh, married. And he ended up having to wear a hazmat suit into the wedding. That's going to be one you remember forever. But I mean, come on. You know, this is... I, well, I ain't going there. churches are being closed now while casinos are encouraged to stay open. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Open businesses again. Don't open businesses again. Open schools again. Don't do that. This expert says this. Well, your expert doesn't know a thing. The expert I heard that's in some department in the government says this. And your expert is wrong and mine is right. Who do you trust? Who can you believe? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. So here we come to the crux of the matter, in my opinion. Not just for this year, not just for a decade, not even for a century, but for a lifetime, your lifetime and mine. We've often said that we live in a world right now that is so concerned with the things of this world. And while I'm not saying that we should neglect the needs of the physical world, we should, after all, leave this planet better than we found it when we got here. I do believe we oftentimes miss the point. Before we take a good look at our scripture reading for this morning, I want to go back one chapter and look at at chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah just told King Hezekiah in verse 6 of chapter 39 that the Babylonians will be taking over Israel for about 70 years. For some, that would be a very long time. It might be the rest of their lives, as a matter of fact. Some would be born into captivity and would never have known anything but being a slave to the Babylonians their entire life. 
Some might only live long enough to be enslaved to them and, and they know nothing else. A lot to look forward to, isn't it? These are the people who will have to pay the price for their collective national sin. Sounds even beforehand that they might could stand a little comfort, does it not? And we know God is not going to go away from them, never to come back. He will be there, even when it seems like he is gone for good. But then look at what King Hezekiah thought to himself in this same chapter, verse 8. At least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Is that going to be our thinking? Well, good. Maybe as long as I'm alive, things will be okay. And after I'm gone, whatever happens, happens. Today, again, we're in a fix in this world and in the United States. We have factions who are literally trying to tear this country apart. And for what? So that some of them might be able to sell an extra newspaper or perhaps an extra magazine that they wouldn't have previously. Or that some political party might have power and dominion over another and and have it over the rest of the country as well. Their hunger for power is that important? I don't get it. A voice of one calling. Prepare the way for the Lord. We're reminded. Of course, we know that voice to be John the Baptist. Look further here. Verse 4. Every valley, every mountain, every hill, all the rough ground, all the rugged places will become level and smooth. But what happens when all that takes place? After all the leveling has been done, okay, what takes place after that? The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And you know what else? It won't take a magazine or a newspaper. It won't take a political party or one nation lording it over another for us all to be able to see that. None of this stuff is going to matter. Now, while in in Isaiah 40, the desert talked about is the moral wasteland of the Israelites at that moment in time, I dare say we can parallel that time with what we are dealing with today. What's being said here, I think, is a mandate to us all. Make a way for God to come back to us. Get rid of the clutter of the world. Get rid of the junk that clouds our way, that does not allow God to be first, not only in the world, but maybe more importantly, in our own hearts. But right there, start right there, right now, today, each one of us, let it begin with you and with me of allowing God to be back in our hearts again so that we can go out into the world and make a difference for Him. As the old Christmas song says, let there be peace on earth, but let it begin with me. As the Israelites were exiled by the Babylonians, it would have been easy to simply give up. To give up ever being free again, of ever being allowed to think for themselves again. It would have been so easy to become withdrawn and reclusive. They could have become divided people, ones who didn't even look to remain connected one with another. And this is what bothers me about this year at Christmas. 
We're being encouraged to be divided, to be away from our families, to be away from the ones that we know and that we love. California, and I'll pick them out. Everything is shut off for three weeks, which happened two weeks plus ago. And it's supposed to end in three weeks, which is the day after Christmas. Isn't that amazing how that worked out? You know, there's too much of of this division that's trying to be taken place in this country. And too many people are falling for it. I'll get off of that one. Now I've got to get back where I found where I was. <clears throat> All right. They could have become a divided people, ones who didn't want to remain connected with their family and friends. They could have had, at worst, even given up their faith. Is any of this sounding familiar today? That they had to remain connected in any way possible that they could. They had, to, they had to or risk being divided and never having the will to rise up with God's help and be free once again. They're being told to prepare the way for the Lord, even in the desert that they were living in at that moment. Listen for that voice, they're being told. Even in the desert they're, they're living at, that they were living in at that time. Now, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines desert, one definition of desert anyway, as a place of abandonment, a place where a person may feel unprotected. You see, Israel knew what a desert was like that they lived in periodically, arguably in typical barren flatlands as we often think of. Thank you. But... Moral desolation had, had come upon them because they had collectively turned their backs on God. Oh, thank you. If we allow sin to rule our lives, we will live in similar desolation, spiritually, perhaps even physically. If we don't prepare the way in our own desert... For God's return, or for Christ's return, we too will live isolated lives, divided from what should be ours. And then living uh, alone in desolate times. That, that taking that we can have, it should be ours. And that taking is Jesus Christ. Asking Him to come back into our lives. Asking Him to come for the first time into our lives. Making Him a Savior of our lives. And then living for Him as He is Lord over our lives. But the timing that we have, or the time that we have, is is we don't have much time to decide. Do we then do what we've been called to do by God? Prepare the way in our own hearts first... For the coming Messiah, for that game changer for all the world to behold, or do we continue in our own blind way, never being privileged to know the hope and joy that can be ours? We're reminded in verses 6 through 8 of our reading this morning that, that all flesh is like grass. The beauty we recognize in life is temporary, it is fleeting. All we know today will be gone tomorrow. 
I was thinking even the Christmas presents we get for our children for this, for this year, next year they'll be looking for something new because those will already be broken or, or lost or whatever the case may be. It's the same sort of thing. What was shiny and new yesterday in our lives tomorrow will have to be replaced. Maybe Isaiah at that time was looking at the grass and the the leaves turning brown where he was living, much like we're experiencing right now in our own yards, or maybe in our view as we were on our way to church this morning. Maybe he was thinking back to to how lush and beautiful things were for a brief time for Israel. Or perhaps he was thinking of his beloved Israel itself. How at one time they had been so in love with God. How they praised him and worshipped him. And now Isaiah simply sees nothing left in the people. Nothing but a hollow cutout of people who turned away from the God who replenished their every need. And Isaiah recalls how alive the people had been at one time. Prepare the way for the Lord. Comfort my people. Even in the midst of their strife, Isaiah writes. So, what does that have to do with us this morning? Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Not what shall we cry. Did you pick up on that? Remember a few minutes ago, I said something about the, I think Vince Gill sang it best. Concerning let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. There is that choice. Or there's King Hezekiah's choice from chapter 39, the way I read this. Just let things be okay while I'm alive. After I'm gone, well, may God bless them and be with them. Those are our choices today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our days on this earth. But I'm only one person, I'm buzzy. I, I can't do anything like that. Nobody's going to hear me talk about Jesus. and, and them. We believe that He came to save us from our sins. and We believe He is going to come back and take us home to be with Him. And, and if we just follow Him as Lord and Savior, we can live with Him forever as we see in John 14. What difference can I make? I read a story the other day about a little boy and his dad who were walking along on the beach one morning. And as they walked along, they came upon a a great number of starfish that evidently had been washed up overnight. And there they were languishing in the sand. They couldn't get back into the water once again. So the little boy begins just kind of, he's not real sure about them. They weren't moving. But he began, he picked one up and he threw it back out into the water. And lo and behold, it began to move. And then he took another one and he threw it. And that one just sort of floated But he took another one and threw it into the water. And it too began to move once again. The dad looks at his son and says, Son, what are you doing? You're just wasting your time. It's not going to make any that much of a difference. The little boy looks at his dad and he said, Well, it made a difference to that one. Shouldn't that be our attitude? To talk to others about the greatest gift that we could ever give them. That could ever be given to any of us. Let it begin with me. Now, what difference does it make or, or, or let things be okay until I'm gone? 
We can have those attitudes. We've had a chance to, to uh, talk about the, the simple story of a child born to us so long ago. We can make straight the paths in the hearts of others. But what do we believe? What do you and I believe? That's what we have to look at this morning. Before you leave here today, you have to look at what you believe in. We can make straight the paths in the heart of another person. We believe that the Christ child came the first time just as was promised. But we believe that He will come back to take us to be with Him as well. But we also have a much greater story to tell than just that. I know that's, that's the basic. But we've got another one as well. And that's where verses 18 through 31 come into play. <clears throat> where do we begin? How do we begin to talk to somebody about God? How do we talk to somebody about our beliefs? Well, we start right here, verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What a great lead-in question. The next couple of verses suggest attempting to equate what kind of an image we could try to compare God to immediately. But we as Christians know that we cannot compare God to anything of this world. If we do, we end up doing, as I like to say, we box God in, do we not? We make Him comparable to human existence. We fall way short of comparing the one who gave us His Son if we do anything like that. So what do we do? We can try. And that's what verses 21 through 31 do in my opinion. Do you not know, we're asked. Have you not heard, we are tested. Has it not been told to you from the beginning and have you not understood since the earth was founded? Hmm. Those are words that if we looked at those questions just for ourselves, it could make us kind of go a little more bonkers than we already are. Questions beyond our reach of comprehending for any one of us. Questions not unlike what we see, though, in Job chapters 38 through 41. Questions God already knows the answers to. In other words, as we see in in Job 42, verse 3, Job says, Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Right here, right now, we are attempting to get a glimpse of God's power and might. By the way, a little side note here, a little editorial on my part. Don't use the term awesome unless you are pertaining to God. That term is meant for God and God only, in my opinion. I love racing, but every guy had an awesome car that day. No, he didn't. He had a good race car, okay. But that, that's it. Just I digress on that one, but think about it before you use that term again. Be, be careful with it, okay? We have in verses 21 through 31 the opportunity to tell others of God's wondrous power. For not only did He send us His Son to die for us, but He is the one who created all things, even saw that they were all good. In other words, listen to what He is trying to tell you, O Israel. Heed the words of God the Creator, O Hill City. 
This is the mighty God that we are able to tell of. This is God's Son, Jesus Christ. We are able to share with the world. This is why, as it was with Job, we have no reason to complain because we don't have the luxuries that other people may have. What we have is more valuable than anything on the face of this earth that anyone could own. And it is ours simply again to the asking. If we make straight the paths, a highway for our God to bring the good news of His Son's birth to a lost and dying world, how can anyone say they did not know? That as it says in verse 27, my way is disregarded by my God. Folks, God is not in our, if God is not in our lives, what do you expect? Do you expect He's going to endorse how we sin and how we act? He knows we're there. We just don't know He's there. And so it seems as if God just does not listen to us when we're living in sin. You ever notice that? You ever been in a situation like that in your life? Where are you, God? That's that's the way it is. Until... We begin to see what He has His plan for us and His will for us. And then we start working to that end. That should be our goal though. To spread the good news to others who feel this way that God is disregarding them. That God has left them high and dry. Where is your God? Those are the questions that might be asked you. Listen carefully to people when they talk to you. Because they may be saying it in just another way. Oh, but I don't know enough to talk about God. Well, verses 28 through 31 ought to help you out. Do you not know? Have you not heard? There's your cue right there, by the way. The Lord is the everlasting God. That's why we should believe in what He has done. Want more, you might ask? He gives us strength when we're worn out. He gives power to the weak. Everyone, including the young, get tired. They stumble. Sometimes can't even take another step. But those who hope in the Lord, they will get their strength renewed day by day. But beyond that, we'll be able to soar like an eagle. Does that mean we get wings and all that kind of good stuff? No, that's not what that means at all. It means we will have sufficient strength and even physical strength mental and spiritual in every endeavor that we ever undertake. And that is the God that we can serve and know that he is going to provide uh, for everything that we need. That is the message that we all as Christians have the opportunity to share with others who do not know the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. These are the words to give us Christians, comfort. These are the words to encourage us and the world. These are the words to challenge the unbeliever. But we have to look a little bit beyond Christmas, okay? This is for 365 days a year, folks. This is not only for December 25th, but it's for August 3rd. It's for September 18th. It is for February 22nd. It is for every single day of the year. That's the point. But first, what we have to do 
is level and straighten that path that leads to Him. We can bring within each of us and and share all that we come in contact with, as we talked about two weeks ago, the peace that passes all understanding. And is a gift that will continue to give all 365 days a year long. Unless it's a leap year, of course. Somebody's thinking that right now, I'm sure. Prepare yourself to share that gift, that peace that we can find only in Jesus Christ. But first, what do you have to do? You have to prepare your heart to receive that gift from your great and gracious Father in heaven. I pray in a year that thankfully is about to end, I pray that you and I are ready to receive Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We praise you for this time of year. Yes, there is great joy. But we should experience that joy each and every day of our lives. So many people look to the Christmas season, but they don't look to the Christ child. So help us. Help us level those those rough areas in other people's lives. Maybe even in our own But strengthen us to that end. Would you help us to help people understand just who God is? That He loves us so much that He gave us His only Son. As as in our Advent candle, as we read this morning from John 3.16. Help us, though, Lord, to help others to see that great gift. Would you help us to, to do that? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let me see what we got here. Our new city catechism question.